Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, are you a Pentecostal? Are you a Pentecostal Christian? Are you a member of a Pentecostal church? And the right answer is yes. Certainly. Every church of the Lord Jesus Christ is a church that lives in the power of Pentecost. Today, we remember the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost Sunday, 50 days after Easter Sunday, the day of the resurrection. And you know that Christ is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament sacrifices, all the ceremonies, all the festivals of the Old Testament. And if you've read the, the article that was emailed out, you, you have some background about that fulfilling. Here in Acts chapter 2, that we just read as our reading, there is this once for all act, a redemptive act of God in Christ, in which the Holy Spirit of God is poured out onto the church. The Holy Spirit came to live, to dwell, and to stay in the church of God, in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We, says the Apostle Paul, are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, this act is not repeatable. It's an act of salvation history like Jesus was born once. He died once. He rose once. He ascended once. So he poured out his spirit once for all. The way he describes it in our text, in Acts chapter 1, is that this pouring out of the Spirit is, is the church receiving power. And ever since the church received power on the day of Pentecost, about 2,000 years ago, ever since then, the Christian church and every Christian has lived in that Pentecost Power. Now, there's so much to say about this. There are so many facets. There is so much depth to Scripture's teaching about Pentecost. But we only have a little bit of time, so we're going to focus on one specific aspect this morning, which is why I chose chapter 1, verse 8 as our text. Because we're going to focus on that power. The power of Pentecost. So the context of our, of our text, verses 6 and 7, give them to us, is that the disciples, after the resurrection, they asked the Lord Jesus, well, is it time? Is it going to happen now? Is the kingdom going to be restored to Israel? Now, most likely, they're not totally clued in yet as to the character of the kingdom of God. They're thinking probably of a very way too narrow vision of the kingdom, an earthly kingdom, a Jewish kingdom with Jesus on the throne. And Jesus answers them. He says, listen, when the kingdom will be fully restored is not something that you can know. It's beyond your pay grade. But I'm going to tell you how it's going to happen. It will happen not with a sudden violent battle, but rather with a long, sustained, powerful, successful campaign in which this Holy Spirit will announce and will establish the victory of the Lord Jesus Christ, of King Jesus, to all the earth, to the very ends of the earth. This will be done not by force of arms or by the power of men, 
But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. There are three things that I want to draw your attention to about this power, this Pentecost power. It is high, it is wide, and it is deep. It is high because of where it comes from. It comes from heaven. It is the very power of God himself. Remember the Lord's Prayer, children, how it ends. Yours, O Lord, yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. Yours is the glory. It belongs to God. Now, what is power? Well, power is the ability to do. If you speak French, if you know a little bit of French, you know that the word, one of the words for power in French is pouvoir, which is the infinitive of the verb to be able to. Same thing works in, in Portuguese. Poder is, is, is a noun, power, and it's also the infinitive of the verb, to be able to. And so in the Greek, power, dynamis, is connected to the verb to be able to, dynamai. Power of God is infinite. And so the scripture says, with God, nothing is impossible. His will, his power, are unstoppable. And when Jesus is before the Sanhedrin, he tells them, listen, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of the power of God. The risen and ascended Jesus tells his disciples before he rises, before he ascends, he tells his disciples, all authority, all power in heaven and earth has been given to me. And then he went up and he sat on the throne of the universe at the right hand of the power. And from there, he pours his power onto and into his church, his body. And what did he tell his disciples? If you just flip back a few pages in your Bible to, to Luke chapter 24, verse 49. Luke 24, 49, before the ascension. He says, Behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. It is a heavenly power that Christ pours upon the church, the very power of God, the same power which he poured out in smaller measure in the Old Testament. In very specific moments to very specific people, he would pour out the power of the Spirit on certain people to equip them for their office, for their calling. So Aholiab and Bezalel, the architects of the temple, they were filled with the Spirit of, of God so that they could do their job. You remember the 70 elders that were chosen to help Moses. The, the Holy Spirit was poured out on them. You remember that the priests and the kings and the prophets in the Old Testament were anointed, and the anointing oil was a symbol, a sign of the pouring out of the Spirit to equip them for their office. And it was by this power that our Lord Jesus Christ was able to fulfill his office. It's very important. Jesus 
the Messiah as a true man did everything to fulfill his office as Messiah as a true man depending on the power of the Spirit. If you turn back to Luke chapter 3.22, for instance, Luke 3.22, where the Scripture says, the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. So that's the ordination of Jesus to begin his messianic task, to, to plant the flag of the kingdom of heaven and declare the kingdom of heaven, of heaven has come near, to begin the destruction of the kingdom of darkness. And then look at Luke 4 verse 1. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. So he's doing his work in the power and by the leading of the Spirit. And then look at verses 14 and 18 of Luke chapter 4. Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. Then look at verse 18. He stands up to preach in the synagogue and he tells everybody, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. That's just in one chapter. But I think you get the idea that the Lord Jesus as Messiah did his work in the power of the Spirit of God. Now this, this power, which capacitates, which, 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 which equips, which gives the strength and the wisdom necessary to fulfill the office to which God calls us, this power is a heavenly power. It's not your grubby, self-serving, depraved, twisted, violent, hateful power of sinful men. The kind of power of of which Lord Acton said power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. This is a totally other category of power we're talking about. This is the pure, joyful life-giving, life-transforming, God-glorifying, holy power of God. It does the work of God. It advances and establishes the kingdom of God according to the will of God, to the glory of God. There's such a contrast between man's grasping power and the power of God. You remember the prophecy of Zechariah 4.6, where God says, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit. The might and the power in that verse are the might and the power that men have recourse to. God says, that's not the way in my kingdom. The power of the spirit is the way of God. You remember, children, the power of the spirit. When do we first Read about the power of the Spirit in the, in the Bible. It's the, the Holy Spirit hovering over the creation, powerfully working through the creative Word of God to bring into existence a universe from nothing. You think of Elijah on the mountain, waiting for God. And there's, this, there's all these things that happen. There's this powerful wind, but the power of God's not in the wind. There's this powerful earthquake, but God's not in the earthquake. There's this powerful fire, but God's not in the fire. And then there's a small, still voice. And there, 
Elijah comes to meet with God. Because the power of God is in the power of the Word. The power by which the Son of God created the universe. You see, the Spirit and the Word always come together. The power of the Spirit works through the Word. That's where the power is. What does Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 say? Jesus holds the universe together by the word of his power. It is by that power that Christ not only created all things, but also renews all things. The power of the Spirit is in the fact that he is the Spirit of God, the Spirit of truth. There is power to bring dead sinners back to life. There is power to change hearts of stone into hearts of flesh. There's the power to regenerate, to cause sinners to be born again through the living and abiding Word of God. And that's why Paul says to the Romans, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation. That spirit-breathed, spirit-inspired, spirit-spoken Word is power to save. And so the power that Jesus says will come upon his disciples is a high power. But it's also a wide power. Because it's poured out on the whole congregation. You remember when Moses uh, was involved with the ordination of those 70 elders and a couple of these guys weren't with the meeting, they were in the camp, and the Holy Spirit fell on them as well, and some people complained about that. And then Moses said, well, would that all of the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his Spirit on everyone. Well, that comes true on Pentecost Sunday. We read about it in Acts chapter 2. Well, we didn't read about it, but if we had kept on reading, in verses 17 and on, there's the uh, quote of the prophet Joel. In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream, dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, says God through the prophet Joel. That's what happened on Pentecost Sunday. The Spirit wasn't just poured out in the leaders of the church. The Spirit wasn't just poured out in the men. The Spirit wasn't just poured out in the adults. The Spirit was poured out on everyone. Sons and daughters, male and female, old and young. The Spirit was poured out with power to equip all of us to fulfill our offices. The office that we all have of prophet and priest and king. And then the various and diverse offices which God calls us to. Of father and mother and husband and wife. And you, the list goes on. And every member of the body is spirit-filled and spirit-empowered for your calling. If sometimes you wonder in the morning... How can I get through another day? How can I do the things God calls me to do? I can't. And the answer is, you're absolutely right, you can't. Not in your own strength. But you don't have to do it in your own strength. Upon you rests the spirit of the power and the glory of God. And equipped by Him, you can fulfill 
your calling. So it's a wide power. It's for everybody. And it's also wide geographically. What does the Lord Jesus say in verse 8 of our chapter 1? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. So God pours out the spirit of power so that the spirit-filled church would advance the kingdom with power so that every knee would bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. As the church does its work, as the church spreads the gospel, as the church rejects the spirit of Babel and gets out there, then wherever the church comes, wherever the word and sacraments are instituted, there is the temple of God. There is the presence of God. And Jesus says, in my power that I pour upon you, you will do that work. It's a wide power. It extends all over the earth. And it extends to everything and everyone. If you turn in your Bible to Ephesians 1, 17. Ephesians 1, Galatians, Ephesians chapter 1, 17. Paul is praising God, the Father of glory, and he's asking that he might give the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. And then he speaks, and we have to skip to, to verse 19 now. He speaks about what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might. What is this power? What is this might? Well, he worked it in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. What's he saying? Jesus has the power. Jesus has the kingdom. Jesus has the glory. Absolute power is with Christ. And then look at verse 22. He put all things under his feet. There is nothing which escapes the sovereign rule of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no one which escapes who can escape the sovereign rule of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that sovereign ruling king of kings and lord of lords. Look what verse 22 says. God gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So our head, our master, our lord is not just some provincial, regional, little sectarian god for Christians or for Canadian reform people or for religious people. But he is the Lord of the universe. He is the head over all things. There is nothing which is outside of his sovereignty. And so the church, all of us, declare to the world, all of it, that every part of the world, every part of human life, every person, everything, every culture, every society, every aspect of reality is under the sovereign kingship of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a wide power which God pours upon the church in Pentecost Sunday. And it affects and it relates to every thought even of the mind. If you open your Bible in 2 Corinthians 10, 
2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. You'll see the apostle speaking about the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. This is the power the church has received. It destroys the strongholds of the lies and the vain philosophies of the enemy of the kingdom of darkness. Look at verse 5. We, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. It is a wide, extensive, all-encompassing power also in the realm of academia and intellect and science and philosophy. There is no room in any area of human life for the church to retreat and to say, we can't come in here. We cannot state the claims of the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ in this area of life or thought. So what does Jesus say? What does he say to his disciples in our text? Does he say, you will receive the spirit of timidity to keep your head down, to hope that the world doesn't notice you, to not rock the boat, to fly under the radar? Is that the spirit that Jesus poured upon the church? No. He pours upon his church the spirit of power. He anoints the church with the spirit of power through whom and in the strength of whom the church will preach the gospel which turns the world upside down. That's what happens a little bit later on in Acts. People start complaining. These guys are turning the world upside down. And they are if you're looking at things from a sinful point of view. But if you look at things from God's point of view, they're, they're turning things the right side up again. Now what happens when the spirit is poured out in line with what Jesus says here in our text? Well, you saw it if you read chapter 2. These weak, frightened, Galilean fishermen with an inferiority complex hiding behind locked doors for fear of the Jews. That's where they were before Pentecost. And where are they after Pentecost? They stand up and they fearlessly proclaim Christ without any heed to the consequences. Look at Acts chapter 4, 31. They are filled with the Holy Spirit. And what does that mean? They continue to speak the word of God with boldness. That's where the power is. You know, some people think when you're filled with the Spirit, you start climbing walls and swinging off chandeliers and saying unintelligible sounds. That's not what the Bible teaches. There were some very strange phenomena which happened when the Spirit was poured out, kind of like the fireworks to, to show that something amazing is happening, that the king is being crowned. But if the king's crowned with fireworks on his day of coronation, and a year later he comes visit your city, then it's a little bit childish to say, well, that's not the king because there are no fireworks. The fireworks belong to a certain time and to a certain occasion. So all this tongue speaking, which we tend to get so fascinated about, are the fireworks, the exciting demonstrations that something's happening. But the real power, look at Acts 4.31. Acts 4.31, they're, they're praying. The place in which they were gathered together was shaken. They were all filled the Holy Spirit. And what's the consequence when you're filled the Holy Spirit? They continue to speak the word of God with boldness. That's what happens. 
when the power of the Spirit is at work. And they speak it in Jerusalem. They speak it in Judea, Samaria. They speak it to the ends of the earth. And as you go through Acts, you see in Acts chapter 13, the Holy Spirit telling the church of Antioch, send missionaries all over. And as, you, as the missionaries go throughout Asia and throughout Europe, then the Spirit's telling them, don't go here and do go there. He's guiding them. He's directing them. He's impelling them. He's opening up hearts to embrace the word which they preach. And then in Acts chapter 28, at the, at the end of the book, we see Paul in Rome in the center of the empire, the center of power of the ancient world, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And after a few centuries, this power of God captures without a shot or without a sword thrust, it captures the Roman Empire for the gospel. So the church, which lives in the power of Pentecost, cannot be provincial or narrow or sectarian or inward-looking. The church which lives in the power of Pentecost, the truly Pentecostal church, must be universal and Catholic and missional and must have a driving desire to proclaim the gospel of Christ to everyone and everywhere. And so this power is high, this power is wide, and finally, very briefly, this power is deep. You see, the kingdom of God is not about external compliance about everything looking good superficially. The kingdom of God, rather, is about radical, powerful transformation beginning at the very core of our being. If you turn to Ephesians chapter 3.16, you'll notice the language of the apostle there, Galatians, Ephesians 3.16. And he speaks about that he would grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. It's the very, very heart which is the focus of the power of God. Look at verse 20 of the same chapter, Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, so this is not an external power which is looking for lockstep uniformity. Everybody acts the same and everybody does the same things and everybody keeps the same rules. No, it is a glorious, radical, transforming power which starts in the heart. It changes our hearts. It renews our minds. It transforms our beings from glory to glory so that it is Christ more and more who is living in us. It's not we who live, it is Christ who lives in us. So that when we walk, when we talk, when we, when we live, people can say, I see the reflection of the Lord Jesus Christ in the life of that woman, that child, that man. It is a deep, penetrating power which goes into the very inner recesses of the heart. It is the healing power of the Spirit, which is our only hope, because it is a deep and cleansing and renewing and transforming power. It heals hearts and minds and affections and desires and relationships and marriages and families and communities. That's 
the power of Pentecost. It's the power of the Spirit who burns away the filth and who sanctifies us more and more so that our whole being, our whole life says, holy to the Lord. And that's why the church does what it does. That's why the church takes the sword of the Spirit in the preaching and in the pastoral visits and in the mutual encouragement and exhortation that we give one another. The church takes the sword of the Spirit and thrusts it deep into our hearts because the goal of the power of Pentecost is renewed and transformed lives. Now today, we're about to ordain new elders and a new deacon. And brothers, you who will be ordained shortly, this is not your induction into a board or committee of some human association. You're not being called to take part of a leadership group which will make sure that everybody doesn't rock the boat and things just keep plugging away and staying the same. No, the Holy Spirit has made you today overseers of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. And there is nothing more precious in the universe to God than the church, which he bought at such a high price by the death of his son, The church is the love of his life. The church is the apple of his eye. And you, brothers, you watch over this flock as men who will have to give an account. On the great day, Jesus will ask you, what have you done to pastor, to shepherd my sheep? And that should make us tremble. Because we are not worthy or adequate to the task. But then we remember what the scripture says. Jesus fulfilled his office in the power of the spirit. The whole congregation, every member, fulfills their respective offices in the power of the spirit poured out at Pentecost. And there's only one way that you can do the job you're called to, brothers. And that is in the power of Pentecost, in the power of the Spirit, because you can't fix stuff and you can't change people. But when you are full of the Spirit and when you in your ordination are anointed by the Spirit, then you do your work in the power of the Spirit of Pentecost. And you know the gospel. You know it's the power of God for salvation. You know it's the chosen instrument of the Spirit. You know it is the sword of the Spirit. So you embrace that word. And you study that word. And you bring that word. And you apply that word. And you point to that word. And you remind people of that word. And you model living by that word in all of your life. And when, you, when you're discouraged, as we all are, and you say, but I can't do it. I'm so weak. I'm so inadequate. Then the comfort of the scripture is this. 
that that's exactly the way God wants it to be. God doesn't want great big superheroes, spiritual superheroes that are untouchable, that are just so up there that the regular members of the congregation think, wow, I can never be like that. That's not the way it is. You know the way it is? What does Paul say, 2 Corinthians 4, 7? We have this treasure in jars of clay. Jars of clay, cheap junk. A jar of clay, if you broke the jar, you would throw the pieces away and just get another one. Not worth much at all. That's who we are, brothers. That's who we are as leaders and God's people. Jars of clay. God doesn't need us. But God, it pleases him to use us in all our weakness to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. And that's an incredible comfort. Because no matter how weak and inadequate we are, God's power is unchanging and always surpassing. So are you a Pentecostal Christian? And is this a Pentecostal church? And the answer is yes. The answer should be yes. If we live in and out of that high, wide, and deep power of the spirit of Pentecost. And so we bow our knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. And we ask that according to the riches, O Lord, of your glory, you would grant that we might be strengthened with power through your spirit in our inner being, that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith, And that we, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to you, O God, who are able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, According to the power at work within us, to you, O Lord, be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.